0: This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. Thanks for listening to Rocks to Roots. How are you doing, Brennan?
1: I'm doing great. It's uh, it's getting really cold outside. It
0: really is. <laughs> I know, and um, I'm I'm kind of a little sad. I mean, this is uh the second to last episode of our season one. We did it. We did season one. We
1: did, and it's it's episode ten. I don't. i I'm mentioned. I was like, I was going. I was doing all our edits, and I had posted our last show, and it was episode nine. I was like, Oh, we, it's 10. And there's like a little, uh, they say that if you can make it through 10 episodes of a podcast that you're going to, you're going to make it. Your, process, your podcast is going to make it. Oh, really? It's going to make millions of dollars. I don't <laughs> know if that's... <laughs> oh, I hope so. <laughs> I said that to someone the other day. They're like, oh, our podcast is going to make millions of dollars now? I'm like, I don't know about that.
0: Yeah, so, calling on all investors right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> a shout out for you. Yeah, well, these last few episodes have been so fun. I mean, mm. we really wanted to focus on the foodie aspect of what would typically be our Farm and Food Expo. So, mm. um, I mean, our guest today was Adam Hexted. I mean... What better guest than what better I? guest and I chef I to... owner of Eat Good Group and also a co-founder of Share Farm.
1: Yeah, I, I I've always wanted to talk to Adam because I've been to so many of his restaurants and he has eight restaurants in the spokane and Coeur d'Alene area, to name a few: is Wandering Table, Gilded Unicorn, Yards, Incredible Burger, and he even talked about uh, this new place, Talker taco suave in uh the new sky ribbon eating area so i i was just i've always wanted to just talk to him about food
0: yeah this guy's not busy at all like
1: it was (laughs) awesome for him to take the take his take time to to come and do rocks roots with us and he was even he was leaving to go to cordelaine because he his new restaurant's opening at the cordelaine uh at the cordelaine
0: yeah Um, and just with all of that too, I mean, the reason why we really wanted to have him on was because he sources local foods and has great connections with all of our farmers and producers. And then the work that he is involved with, with share farm is just incredible. I mean, they've also been a part of that families or farmers to families food box program, um, during this COVID time and um, just great work he's doing to, you know, boost our local food economy with sourcing local from our farmers.
1: Yeah. And the share farm subscription box model sounds amazing to be able to, to get locally sourced food right to your door and then be able to make a meal from it mm-hmm. right in the front coming from the box. It sounds like Link Foods last week, I need to spend more money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tis the season. <laughs> right?
1: So.
0: All right. Well, let's get into it. This is our uh, interview with Adam Hexted. Well, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Rocks to Roots. In the studio today, we have Adam Hexted. Thanks for being here, Adam. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we're super excited to talk to you. One, um, about the Eat Good Group, um, which you are chef owner of. Um, And then all that you do just to make sure that your establishments are supporting local farmers and getting local food in those um, restaurants. Um, But we're also gonna be talking about Share Farm, which I'm really excited of. And you are a co-founder of Share Farm,
2: correct? Correct.
0: Okay, awesome. Well, first of all, to just dive in, I just kind of want to know about you a little bit about you, are you a Spokane native and how did you first, um, get interested in the food scene?
2: Um, so yes, I'm a Spokane native. I, I grew up in Spokane Valley and, um, moved to Seattle for a little while, worked in Seattle for a little bit and, um, worked in LA for a little bit and then moved back. So like when I was there, I was going to school. So I went to cool, culinary school here and at the community college and then wanted a little more. And so I went to the Art Institute of Seattle and went and got another degree there. But while I was working, I while I was there, I was working as well. And so, um, but I got to experience Seattle and um, kind of got to work in, uh, I got worked work to the Space Needle there, which is a super oh, high cool. volume cool. restaurant, which is crazy. Um, got a lot of good experiences and exposed to chefs, but I think... In my time being there, I was like trying to decide if I want to like go to Portland or Seattle or some other big city and like try and make my name there or, you know, figure out what kind of chef I was or whatever in a big city. Um, Every time I came back to Spokane, I like love the feeling here and I like love Mm -hmm. you you go over the mountain there um, and you can just kind of see the valley and the downtown and um, I like love that feeling and I loved the, like how kind everybody is here and everything, you know, it's just a, a different. So like a slower pace of life, but you have a little bit of big city too. <laughs> so totally it's like agree. a little bit of everything. So I decided to try and make something here, and so that's um why I decided to stay in Spokane or like try and invent myself here instead of somewhere else.
0: So what was really your first like dip in to the pond of like yeah. getting things going? A
2: dish, I was so I guess I guess I went to in high school. I did like a. Um, a tech program for uh, cooking. Okay. I can't think of what it's called. Anyway, chef skills or something like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, like my um, junior and senior year, I did I did the tech school uh, during high school, and so I really liked that. But during that time, I was a dishwasher as well at Marie Calendar's. And <laughs> oh, it,
0: I miss Marie <laughs> Calendar's. <laughs> well,
2: and the weird thing is, is that it. it I didn't really know I wanted to be a chef. I just loved eating. It's like, (laughs) like more than most people. (laughs) Um, But Marie Marie Calendars actually was a place that made all their stuff from scratch, which is like pretty rare, especially like in a corporate chain. Mm -hmm. And as I moved my way up and I learned all of their like kind of corporate systems, like they have all these like very detailed recipe books. You're doing French onion soup, for example. And it tells you like very specifically how to do that, like you take the onions and cut them this way and you grill them for this amount of time until they look like this. So like all of these methods to create the same, you know, French onion soup at any Marie calendars across the country. Mm-hmm. And so like, as I grew in up in the industry, I was like able to sort of um, like take that skill set, being able to like build that recipe books and the, and the, you know, the training and all that development. And then like later on I was able to like bring that to the casino and say like, I could get anybody and say, make me French onion soup. And then they're going to make this quality that I'm looking for, you know, and of course it needs a little tweaks here and there and like cooking techniques, but Mm. like, that's like how we're able to like scale our restaurants and like build consistency and things like that. Um, so like that development at Marie counters is like really crucial to me being able to like replicate a lot of the food i like so mm.
0: so i have to ask was it the one on argon yeah yes i went there all the time I yeah loved like that I, I
2: did every position there i did i was assistant manager i was like the baker uh dishwasher prep guy line cook i did everything <laughs>
1: that's awesome <laughs> that's like one of my
2: first actually one of my first days there i was say um i didn't know yeah. i was gonna, i know i didn't know i had the job and I thought I was just interviewing or something. And then they were like, "That's what you're gonna wear to the job." And I was like, uh, "I didn't know I was starting today." <laughs> so they like made me wear these super small, uh, like check pants. Check pants are like the old school chef pants, mm-hmm. and they're super tight and super short. <laughs> and this like super like holy really old Marie Callender's dishwasher shirt. And they're like, "Okay, you got to go wear this uniform and then go sweep outside." So I'm like sweeping outside, and then. Like this bus girl, the bus bus load of like the volleyball team pulls up, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> like my start. Oh my god! Oh, like ever. from like from school. Yes, from school. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: my gosh,
0: I love that. That's yeah. hilarious. So, from Marie Calendars yep. to now, this Eat Good Group, yep. and so I want you to talk about the Eat Good Group and kind of its emergence into our community. Yeah, got everything. Um,
2: Okay, so I was at the Cordellane Casino. That was my job before good Group. I was the executive chef of um, all the food and beverage there. And so I um, I started there as a chef of one of just one of the restaurants and then eventually moved my way up to um, executive chef of the whole property. So as they developed and expanded, I took over, you know, the buffet and their steakhouse and like did all the new restaurants as they built new ones at mm-hmm. the Cordellane Casino. Um and so I'd been there for about five years and it's like a really great job. Like you get great benefits, great pay. I developed a fantastic team there, but it was just like, wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. Like I didn't get to create exactly this restaurants that I wanted to do. Um, you know, it's just like the clientele is not the same, right? They go, not, there's not always the same clientele that would go to wandering table that goes to the casino. And so it's just, it was a little bit different there. Um, Funny is because I am back there now (laughs) (laughs) as uh, running the steakhouse. But so I decided to go off on my own and uh, took a leap of faith and left the casino to open Wandering Table. That was the first restaurant I did kind of this, um, not Indiegogo, but uh, Kickstarter to get people to help fund the opening. And while that was like getting built, um, the owner, Greenstone, asked me if I would take over. Um, It was now E Good Cafe in Liberty Lake, but it was. A little cafe there that just wasn't doing very well, and so mm. we took over. That was my, actually my first restaurant. Was this little cafe for uh, at the Meadow Technology Campus in Liberty Lake, and then um, I think that started going. And then he's like, "Well, we have this tiny space next to Wandering Table um, that's not that would be great for a restaurant, but it kind of has to work symbiotically, you know, with the other one. And so, would you mm. want to take over that one? So then that's like that empire was like created. Like, instantly. Yeah, <laughs> really. it was
0: like, yeah. that was a quick jump. Yeah, but it's like,
2: <laughs> I mean, I kind of, I built that skill set somewhat at the casino, being able to, we had like 10 venues there, and I was able to kind mm. of figure out how to get that to work all together without me, like, being there, you know, open to close every single day.
0: Right, okay.
2: So I was able to, like, you know, hand off some things, manage some things, build the that training and the recipe books and, like, all those things to help develop, develop like, the systems. Um. So I sort of already had that that being said, I still had a lot to learn. So I was like, I mean, like being a chef of even a large casino is way different than owning a business. Like there's just, I am not an accountant. I'm not human resources person. Like there's so much stuff that, that I didn't know or don't know still. Mm -hmm. And that's just a really hard learning curve. And it took like a long time to get profitable. Um, and make sure that we were, like, making the right choices. Mm-hmm. And it's still – st- we always struggle with that. It's still, like, difficult. Hmm. Um, but you don't know what you don't know until you get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then slowly as we – I, I built other relationships. We opened Gilded Unicorn. It's with Jerry Dicker. Um, I just love the Montville space there. It used to be catacombs. So I always loved that space, and um, I had told someone else about it, and they told Jerry, and Jerry called, and we set up a meeting and then made the deal happen there. That's and awesome. so, um, that was our, our next restaurant. And then, um, we went to the cellar in Coeur which is honey now. Mm. Um, I took over cellar restaurant, which was kind of this mix of Italian-y food. and um, it wasn't exactly what I wanted. And so that's why we rebranded it as honey. And what kind of made it a little more neighborhood friendly and mm-hmm. more like comfort foods. It's like, I think comfort foods are probably my specialty, like every level. Like that's what I love to make. And it's like <laughs> what I love to do, love even it. if it's like ultra fine dining, I still like to do some version of comfort foods. So mm. It's like what I grew up with and it's like the things that I can relate to, mm-hmm. um, being that I am a <laughs> white Caucasian, <or> Caucasian <laughs> it's like, I don't really have like that history and like background. And so <laughs> the things that I grew up eating are like tuna casserole and like tater tot casserole and like just this kind of super lowbrow food. But, like, being able to take that and change it into something a little more modern and, like, using higher quality ingredients, I think that's, like, where my skill set is. Well,
0: and I think Marie calendars. Marie Callender's. That's bit, exactly yeah. <laughs> It's,
2: like, all comfort food. Yes, exactly. Um, but it's, like, take – it's like, for me, it's super difficult to look at something and you say – or a lot of people – and look at, like, fried chicken, for example. Like, how do we do this different? How do we make it, like, special and good? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we take apart every single piece of that chicken and then rebuild it and decide if like each step is the right decision. And we look at all different styles of cuisine from like Korean or Italian or French, like all as much as we can learn. And then we take it back to that fried chicken and say, is this the best method we can do? Or like hamburgers and credit burger. We do the same thing there. Like we, we didn't just build a hamburger like put a patty on a bun. We make the we make the buns. We make the pickles. We make the sauce. We make the cheese. We blend the burger. We do like every step, and there's a lot of like French classical cooking in there because um, that's my what I've learned and my background. Mm. And then, but then it's like a cheeseburger, right? Like a five dollar cheeseburger. So it's like <laughs> all of this like combined knowledge into one hamburger. Mm-hmm. So like that's kind of. Um, I think like being able to translate that into different things like yards is our diner, our up upper scale, you know, wandering water, tables like share place restaurant and then a uh, hamburger fast casual place, like all these different things. We have taco suave, which is one of our newer concepts. And it's basically like taking those same ideas and putting it inside of a, a tortilla. So like pastrami and do like a Reuben, for example, we have like pastrami and sauerkraut, and then like putting some, more Latinish flavors in there so it's like kind of a combination of the two mm-hmm. so it's i think that um our authenticity isn't necessarily like ever in traditional roots it's like in my experiences or our experience combined experiences so like each restaurant we try to like have the chefs and the managers like put their own thumbprint on it so whether it's like a piece of service or the menu we want them like each place to be like totally identified with that Group, you know the chefs and the restaurants that are there, to, the managers that are there day to day, but to be able to do that, I have to let go a little bit, mm-hmm. but still keep like our vision direction for each place. so
0: mm-hmm. Well, I think that um you know having all of these different varieties of restaurants too. I mean, you get you know bits and pieces of the different communities involved. Oh too, yeah, for sure. So yeah, they they totally that's really dictate. Cool.
2: Yeah. So basically, when we open a place, we just we um, we create a menu. We're just throwing stuff at the wall and like seeing what, stuck, what, what sticks, you know, and, like, what people like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always, like, much different than you expect. I mean, you always know that a couple of things are going to be, like, everyone's going to like it. Mm-hmm. But then as we change and as the menu, like, evolves, we usually change, like, the menu every, five, like, four to six weeks. And, like, as it evolves, we take off things and then new things get put on and, like, the menu just gets a little bit better all the time. But the the people who shape that's the neighborhood, like the people ordering the food, they're the ones right. that, like, have those mainstays that we don't ever move so
0: yeah so obviously good food is uh, the big (laughs) main goal of your establishments but what are some of the other goals and missions that you know you bring to the the good group Um,
2: I think I think really my one of our main goals is that I want to like train people to make great restaurants and Mm -hmm. so whether they work for me or go build their own places I would love to eat at a, you know, a bunch of other places that I didn't own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's like really what what the future is here and that's what I'm trying to build is like this culture and like an identity for Spokane. Yeah. So like the hospitality piece and like being able to teach hospitality and teach our chefs hospitality because so it's usually in even the back of the house is like very like cut and dry. Like, oh no, we're not going to do that. We stick to the menu and we're not going to do anything to whatever, please, or guess, or whatever weird thing that happens there with, that like, rigidity. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, like, we're very, like, we try to say yes as much as possible. So, like, if someone wants peanut butter and jelly, and if we have the ingredients to make peanut butter and jelly, just make one. Or make your version of it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but also in that, entering that hospitality and, like, that yes mentality, when people, like, help find their own definition of what a restaurant is, and then they can either, we can grow with us and build, help us build the restaurant, or they go out on their own so that's like one piece of like having all these places and all these employees is i love that part of it Mm -hmm. um and i want to see our people succeed like if if they i mean sometimes people grow and we can we either have time and space to build a place or they have to go do their own thing and like either way is great for us so Mm. um the other part is like community involvement like i like to i like charity stuff I don't know if I should put this out there, but we do a lot of charity (laughs) stuff. Like we we do just pretty much about we we have uh, we get tons of asks, obviously. um, But anyone that we know that um, we have a good relationship with, we try and build up something and try and build to be a part of that community. And Mm -hmm. um, we can we can't maybe can't give ten thousand dollars, but we can help raise ten thousand dollars by the things that we do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a really easy for us to do and we're in a position to be able to do that and so I well and that's so
0: cool you being from Spokane and you know being native here so well and it's it's like I I want to help build that
2: and and it's not only I mean it's good advertising for our restaurant because we're like there, you know at at their program or whatever but we also want to like be a part of the community and so like that is like giving back too. like we have people coming in to eat and they're having birthdays and anniversaries and all that kind of stuff enjoying their moments at our restaurants and so it's like our way of saying thanks for all that. Right. Um, and then obviously we like support like local producers and farmers, that's like our, one of our big goals. And it's, it's really how we build our menu. We start with the products first and then build backwards. Um, like we'll just look at a list of ingredients that are for like June and April or whatever, whatever our menu frame is. And then we'll just build the menu like straight off that, like build it backwards and, oh, here's, a, here's all the ingredients we have and here's our ideas. And then we kind of meld the two together. Mm. Um, so it's like really important for us to get as much local and seasonal products as possible. And, and, and part of that too, is like helping build identity for Spokane. So like when you mm-hmm. come to Spokane as a visitor or Coeur d'Alene, um, in the Northwest, you like have this identity of what it is. You're like having this Spokane sort of experience instead of just being at this place that could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, and that comes from the locality and the seasonality of the ingredients or, or things that are special. Like here's the story of this wine and it goes with... This mushroom that grew that we've got in our back door yesterday, you know, or whatever. So
0: yeah, storytelling too, yeah, a little bit yeah. there. So has sourcing local always been um, like a main staple and a priority when you started your restaurants and started? Yeah, even
2: before that. I mean, that's really yeah. um, even at the casino we were bringing in. We had Link Foods coming in, bringing bringing us large amounts awesome. of stuff. very um, cool. And I liked being able to work with um, work with them and and say like you know, it's the end of pepper season and we have 200 pounds of peppers. Can you take these? And like, so I'll figure out how to pickle them and preserve mm-hmm. them. So we have pickled peppers for a long time um, or whatever. And it's like being able to have that relationship with the farmer or producer instead of just buying stuff when it's convenient. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Mm-hmm. so why is um, sourcing hyper-local food so important? I mean, I obviously kind of have a hunch, but <laughs> I want to hear from you. <laughs> well,
2: I mean, I mean, like I said, it's like that identity, like the – that is like one main reason that we like to do it is cause it's like builds identity in our restaurants. So like not only does it set us apart cause we have good quality ingredients, but, um, it like says, well, when it's Brussels sprout season, we're going to have Brussels sprouts because, and in the summer we're not going to have Brussels sprouts and you're going to come there and just have like a different experience depending on the season. Mm. Um, and so like that helps build the framework of what the, in the Northwest looks like as far as like a, you know, a food culture or whatever. Um, but also like being able to support the community. I mean, we still, we have like farmers or producers like coming to eat as well. So it's like being able to put that money into our community and then have them, you know, people be able to spend that money back here or, um, building those relationships or like long-term relationships that we get to know people and, you know, seeing their families grow and seeing them do well. I mean, all that stuff is good.
0: Mm-hmm. So what are some of those practices that like you implement to foster that good relationship with that farmer and producer and
2: um so
0: making that connection
2: really it just starts with conversation i mean we do we use link for a lot of people a lot of things because uh, it's it's convenient and so basically what they do is like we'll have a farmer come in our back door for example and we'll we will send them to link what link does is acts as a co-op essentially so mm-hmm. link will all the food get dropped off at one central location and then it can go get distributed to our restaurants um, if they, And if they're not a part of Link, then we're totally fine, like, building that relationship if they want to come. Dry. Wild Mushrooms is a super good example. They're not always mm. available, um, and the, they don't hold very well. So it's like when they're here, you have a very small window, so they usually just come to our back door. Um, but being able to, like, do that on a, a regular basis, basis, you have to have the systems in place. And sort of on our menu has that flexibility. We'll say... Um, we know approximately when real mushrooms are going to be in. And so we may need need to order some from Oregon until the ones here locally are ready. And so we just kind of build that flexibility into the menu. And uh, it's like seems really overwhelming at first um, as a chef and uh, because your owner's definitely not going to be like, well, you can buy tomatoes for 50 cents Mm -hmm. or you buy them for 250 from a farmer. Well, Mm -hmm. you, but you can like, there's a food value to, there's a food value. So like a amazing peach really should have the same like food value as like lobster because like they're two amazing experiences like when you have this like super fresh right you you bite into it and like juice running down your mouth or you have like this super succulent lobster they really are the same like food value right like in your eating experience and so i think being able to like put a value on this fantastic tomato versus something that's just out of you know whatever growing traditionally right Mm -hmm. Um, there's like a food value to that. And then not only that, but being able to tell the story, your server to be able to tell the story, your chef, be able to tell the story and talk about where it's from. Um, talk about the farmer, the producer, where, how it's grown. You know, there's like a lot of things that are built into that cost that it seems overwhelming at first, but you can, you can definitely build that cost into the menu. And so maybe you have, maybe the tomato is the showcase and you're just garnishing it with things that are you know less expensive. Maybe that's like your center of the plate. Yeah. Just thinking about things a little bit differently.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is one thing that we talk about is nutrient dense food yeah. and that, yeah, like all tomatoes aren't created equal. And so well, and there's like other yeah. things
2: that like go into that too, like the um, sustainability of like mm-hmm. how they're growing it. Exactly. And the, um, the soil health. The soil the, health. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Longevity of our life, we want that to, <laughs> you know, to s- somewhat stay, at least as good as it is. You know, yeah. Try not do our best to be better, you know, people, stewards, <laughs> yeah, 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 all that, yeah, stewards of the community, stewards of everything. Yeah, Check the all land. the boxes,
3: all <laughs> <laughs> <do you> the
0: <laughs> Stay tuned for more rocks to roots right after this. As harvest season begins to come to a close, make sure you continue to support the small farms in our area by purchasing from local farmer cooperatives and food hubs. There's plenty of nutritious and delicious produce still available, and while COVID restrictions has left many farmers and ranchers without businesses to buy their product, our local co-ops are making it a priority to purchase this food and make it available to consumers. We can't let that food go unused and left to rot in the field. Make a point to get to know your farmer and get to know your food better in these last few weeks and stock up for the holidays. Compliment your celebrations with healthy, nutritious, and delicious food that supports our local economy. Very cool. So you went from restaurant and now you're co-founding ShareFarm and I want to talk about ShareFarm. So tell us what is ShareFarm?
2: Um, so when I came to share farm, we, we have pivoted a, a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think originally what we were trying to do is like get people to go to farms and use be able to use our, um, basically a service to buy products there. Like, so if a farmer didn't have like a credit card or it wasn't like able to like, um, like really get their location out there. Like, the, the idea was, like, you get on the app, you can find a farmer that's kind of close by for eggs, for example. You go to the eggs, and you can buy it right on the app, and then just pick up your eggs there. Well, that wasn't, like, fa- that wasn't great, because there wasn't, our, like, center of farmers was, like, too spread out. So it would be very difficult for someone to use the app that way. Mm-hmm. We still have that available, and I think it's still out there somewhere. But <laughs> um, it just wasn't, like, really achievable, because it was, like, we, our farms were really spread out. So if you want eggs, you can go here, mm-hmm. but then you'd have to go 10 miles somewhere else to get something else. So... Mm-hmm. Didn't work out very well. So then we pivoted to online groceries, which we did for a little while. And it just was, uh, it was hard for the farmers. Like we would get a bunch, one bunch of kale, you know, or two bunches of kale. They would have to drive. That's like the opposite problem. Like the farmers are having to drive like 25 miles to drop off Mm -hmm. two bunches of kale and a a thing of spring mix. (laughs) And so it was like, (laughs) we had to do it. Then we're like, oh, this is not efficient for anybody. Like, we're sending the food to people. It's kind of expensive because the farmers don't have to drive all its way. And anyway, so then now we pivoted to like meal kits. So hmm. um, now what we're doing is we put together a whole meal kit. So it'll be like mushroom stroganoff, for example. And um, it's kind of like comfort food based stuff I like. So it'd be like fresh pasta and wild mushrooms and um, all these like things that are locally sourced. And then I show you how to cook them. I do a, we do cooking videos um they're my recipes and then that's where eat like a chef comes in as well and so eat like a chef will be a tv show on fox 28
1: cool. at night at night
2: time so you can order your food next day delivers to your house and then um you can cook along with me you know, it takes like eight to ten minutes to cook the meals It are all like pretty quick and then um you like know, cook along with us like as these meal kits that are like locally sourced so. wow that's awesome
0: so would you say that the intended audience um, or customer base for ShareFarm are just consumers? Just oh, like mom, soccer Yeah, let me go or, back on that a little okay. bit too. Because like
2: I talked to our team, like why don't, why don't you guys order groceries from us? Because like we have like a team of like 10 people. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, I just don't know what to order. Like and I don't And if I get, you know, morel mushrooms, what do I do with it? Oh, and yeah. so like they just weren't, It. they wanted something easier. Like because mm-hmm. you go to the grocery store, you essentially end up buying your regular stuff right you like the same buy your things items. that you always yeah you're saying like 20 <laughs> items plus a couple other random things right or the, like prepared items but like if you could meal plan every single time to the, at the grocery store and you had like a plan like if you took the time to do that ahead of time then it'd be a lot easier then you'd be, buy different stuff right but you don't who not very many people take the time to do that every single time right and so like basically our idea was like wh- what can i do to get you our like people that work for us to buy these and they're like well I would need, like, a meal kit or something. I'm like, perfect, we can do that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and so it was, like, basically for, they're for anyone that wants it. So we have – it's as, as few as two people up to, like, six people. You can kind of do it in multiples, whatever you would like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just whoever – it's all, like I said, all the recipes are really fast and easy. They're all like comfort food based. They're not like very strange then we have some like specialty ingredients in there, like mushrooms in there in season or like black garlic. But I explain how to cook them, what to do with them. You're not just like buying something and then having it sit in your cupboard or whatever. Mm. So. Cool.
0: Yeah. I love that. Just asking internally, like, hey, <laughs> <how> can we <laughs> like, yeah. get this rolling a little bit? Well, and like even myself,
2: <laughs> I was like, forget to buy stuff or whatever. Cause I'd only get like, you know. A few items. I would get like yeah. some of the stuff that's not at easily accessible at the grocery store, um, but I wasn't like ordering all my stuff. So, yeah.
0: So, how are you building those relationships with the local farmers and getting them involved in Share Farm? Um, and yeah.
2: So, we have a handful of people that we started with, like vets on the farm, mm-hmm. um, that we just go to them and say, What do you have available? And so then it's sort of like building our menu. We do it. I, I approximately know what they're going to have because of restaurants and so we we sort of seasonally know what they're gonna have and then we just go back and find enough product it'll we'll treat it somewhat like a co-op if like we say we need 100 pounds of brussels sprouts and we and someone only has 25 then we'll find enough people that have brussels sprouts to make it work
0: hmm. and are you guys um also distributing like with two restaurants or is it just strictly nope, just no? just okay.
2: just like home yeah
0: okay Um, what are some of those standards and qualifications you have for farmers and producers that want to give you their product?
2: Um, we don't necessarily have any, it's just part of a trust in building the relationship. Um, we don't have anything very like extremely specific. We just look for, um, people that are number one, wanting to sell us product and bring it to us so that we are able to deliver that to people. Um, and then just making sure that it fits in our price frame as far as like what people are willing to pay and... And then just the quality of uh, how they're growing the product. So making sure that – I mean, we don't – we want organic practices, but we're not – we don't, like, expect sure. people to have organic certifications. very expensive and difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And I think on – even with the USDA Farms Family Boxes, we help get some people um, certified and be able to get them to, like, the next level. And I think we'll probably end up doing that with Share Farm as well. Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Well, well, since you just talked about it, um, yeah, so how has COVID um, affected Share Farm and, you know, your other businesses? Well, it,
2: it gave us, well, our other businesses were very difficult, but I'll get back yeah. to that. But yeah. uh, Share Farm kind of gave, gave me time to kind of decide. Um, that's when we really pivoted to the, the box program. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and we were able to do farms to family box program through USDA and uh, partnered up with in the Northwest Farmers Market. Um, we were doing from three to six hundred boxes a week, uh, twenty twenty twenty-five pound boxes wow. uh, of food, and we were working with uh, Spokane Food Fighters to be able to deliver those boxes to people's houses. Mm-hmm. So people that weren't able to pick up boxes, we deliver Spokane Food Fighters would deliver it right to their house, and that that was a that was a pretty amazing thing to be able to do and help out uh, people in need. Mm-hmm. Um, gave us something to do. We were. I had, um, even before working with Food Fighters, we, I, had a, I was going to figure out something. So we had lay off a bunch of people, and I still had a few chefs that I wanted to figure out something for them to do. And so um, we were just going to take our, our people and build food and give it out to people. We didn't like, really have a way to do that. And so our um, uh, controller, our accountant for the company, suggested Spokane Food Fighters, and so I reached out to them, and then we paired up, and we started making food at the restaurants, and they were delivering it to people, oh. and then when it came to delivering for the USDA Farmers' fam- Families Boxes, we worked with them again to be able to deliver the food, and so it worked out really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a really good relationship for us, and um, got to know Marcus Riccelli a little bit, and was able to uh, feed a lot of people, so that's pretty fantastic, and then now we picked up another contract with WSDA, where we were feeding uh, 2,200 people a wow. week. So it's like 33,000 pounds of food every Mm. single week.
0: Holy cow. Yeah.
2: Which is pretty crazy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Like the amount of like food that's like we're packing is like, it's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. It's a crazy amount. Um, but again, it's like nice to be able to help out our communities around Washington and feed people with, um, you know, like 90% of our stuff is from Washington. So it's pretty fantastic
0: awesome yeah so yeah obviously high volume of what you're doing how many people do you have working at share farm <laughs> uh
2: 10 just 10 people wow
0: yeah. that's pretty awesome that yeah, you guys are pretty able to quick. Do that. so um why as a producer should i join up with share farm
2: uh well because we're gonna we want to <laughs> we're going to showcase your product and not only that but we're, yeah. we want to help we want to tell your story so mm. that's like part of it as well as I mean, right now it's not a fantastic story to tell because it's pretty ugly outside. But <laughs> um, eventually, we want to get to the part where we can like go to your farm and like do a little video story and talk about why you do the th- why the things why the things you're growing, why you're doing it. Number one, how mm-hmm. you're doing it, um, how it's good for the environment or sustainable. Um, or even if it's like wild mushrooms, go up hiking with our our wild mushroom guy and like show kind of what he's doing, like where he gets them. I just want to show like the whole story instead of being able to just. Um, you know, you go to the farmer's market, you just pick out products, but you don't really know anything about them. But being able to like show that whole thing, it's just like in the restaurant, uh, mm-hmm. being able to like tell that same story.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so yeah, so you just kind of brought up a good point. So yeah, you look outside and it's kind of ugly outside right yeah. now. So what do these months like look for you guys? Um,
2: well, that's part of it as well as like teaching farmers like what we can grow in the winter season because they're mm-hmm. used to just growing what's available in summer. So mm-hmm. being able to do like Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, and being able to have a market for those, um, and that takes to, that'll take time. And then same with like spring spring vegetables as well, because right now their market they're usually used to like end of June till you know like September, maybe a little bit of October for like growing season. And then we'll have like squashes, a little bit of squash and some other things. But we can now extend those markets out with a hoop like hoop houses and kind of like going over some of those techniques that we've seen in other cities. Um, so we can get Brussels sprouts, you know, a large amount of Brussels sprouts locally as long as I'm committed to them or cauliflower or broccoli or whatever. So.
1: What's a who house?
2: Uh, is that what you said? No, a uh, hoop. hoop. Hoop house. Hoop. Oh, yeah. Hula hoop. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Hoop house. Yeah. It's basically like a Yeah. yeah. – What is that? <laughs> it's like a green – a little mini green house. Oh, gotcha.
1: I'm, I see.
2: Yeah. And so like in between seasons, so like springtime, we can get radishes and greens and a bunch mm. of stuff that grows in a very short period of time. you can just throw it under a hoop house and we can extend that out a little bit. Cause right now we're only getting really summer, summer mm. and late spring. So.
0: So are the share farm boxes, um, what's kind of coming up in these seasonal boxes? Anything for uh, the see. Well, our, our first holidays? episode is Thanksgiving. Yeah. It's like
2: the holidays. So <laughs> yeah. we have like turkey and apples during season. So it's apple sage stuffing. Um, oh yum. Oh gosh, what's the other one on there? Let's see, apple sage. Oh geez, I can't even think of it. It was last week, though. To be fair, just oh. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's Thanksgiving stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Oh green bean casserole. Yeah, oh so my oh gosh. Yeah. That's my favorite. With wild right. mushrooms. We have like beautiful chanterelles and hedgehogs. Oh, yeah. That's There's amazing. one more thing. Too, but, uh, I'm sure it'll pop in my head. <laughs> but that green bean casserole is amazing. Ugh, that sounds so all good. All from scratch. So, like making the mushroom gravy, frying the onions. Oh, wow. Blanch and chill the green beans. Yeah. It
1: only takes eight minutes?
2: Yep. What? Yeah, there's like a, a, a certain amount of prep you have to do. Well, right. Blanch <laughs> and chill the green beans, you know, like do all this stuff. But it should be pretty cool. I'm really excited about it.
0: That's awesome. And so, then um, I want to go back to Eat Like a Chef. So, yeah. then um, those shows. Is, so, what is kind of the timeline that, like, consumers should get their box and then be prepared to watch the show yeah or... well and
2: they don't have to watch they don't have to watch the show that's just part yeah. of it um if you want to watch it you shouldn't like cut a bonus with me. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> on saturday and sundays and i so it's like being able to like do that mm. i mean that's kind of a it's pretty innovative too mm-hmm, like i yeah. don't think i've ever seen or heard of it yeah um but we'll have the videos available on the website as well so oh, cool. you'll see okay. like a preview of the video it's like a like tasty style, you know, it's just like a, ca- a pan oh, down cool. camera where mm-hmm. it just shows you throwing in stuff in. Oh, love so it. it shows you like the really quick, and then there's a lot of tips too. Like it'll say, like, how to hard boil eggs. We have deviled eggs as one of them, um, our deviled eggs from honey, and all of them are like recipes from the restaurants or or more personal stuff. Wow. And so nice. you'll it'll show you how to make hard boiled eggs, like perfect hard boiled eggs, like how to peel garlic without having to like peel each one, like yeah. do all these little techniques too. Wow, that's
0: what I need to know because I just peeled a Ton of garlic last oh, night. You're gonna, and be, I
2: you're gonna be so. so mad. <laughs> like you're it. gonna be so mad. It's really easy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can you let me know when you do the buffalo cauliflower? And we did. Let's see. That's have we done oh. that already? I think
2: that's episode like uh, like two or three. Oh
1: man, I missed it. I'll walk we'll No, to no, it's back. not on yet. Oh, it's We're, not on yet. Oh, okay, yeah, perfect.
2: Yeah. So, we, so I think our first episode is like on the twenty fifth or something like that. Ah, yeah. Oh, nice. Perfect. Yeah. Ooh, yum. I've I tried that,
1: that so many times and I always fail at it. Yep. And I've never been able to do it right. Yeah. So. We. That's one of our recipes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah.
2: It's My favorite thing at Wandering yeah. Table. <laughs> no, thank you. Well, and then okay, so I go back to COVID. Oh yeah, <laughs> now that you asked that. Uh, so takeout, takeout and delivery phase was incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. Like we uh, we cut our staff in half, and we were still losing money like crazy. Because I did not, I thought that maybe it would be a little bit of a hit, and then it kind of even out. But it just kept falling, mm. Mm. and so then we had to cut our staff in half again, and it still was like too many people. And so basically, at each restaurant, we went down to a chef and a manager. Uh, everybody was working like i was in i was cooking seven days a week everybody in our in our like management team was cooking online like in there getting the job done just to make us make ends meet yeah um but what it did do is like gave me time to like rethink everything that we're doing so we were able to like basically start from scratch like everything every single business decision needed to be made with like a little bit more um like intense purpose and like Making sure that we were every, all the every single dollar that we're spending, that we're making a little more conscious of a choice instead of just like going through the motions and doing the traditional things that we always did um, because we were really tight on money. <laughs> and, uh, but I think in the end, as terrible as this has been, is like going to make us like better at business and right. mm-hmm. um, make all of our people better at business. And we were able to, um, really developed some better systems. And I think that that helped a lot. And now that we're kind of crawling our way out of it, we're going into the winter, which is freaking awful, but (laughs) it's our slower season. Mm. But I think that because of those business practices that we learned that we're gonna be better off for it, even in the winter. I mean, so uh, um, it, as tough as that was, I think it helped our longevity in our business. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, and how many uh, different restaurants um,
2: yeah, anybody. Yeah, I think anybody mind? on the verge, really yeah. went under.
0: No, the Eat Good group. How oh, many? our restaurants. Yeah. Uh,
2: we have. We had nine. Now we have eight. Okay. We um, we sold off uh, farmhouse kitchen in ponderé to our partner. Mm. It was just always been a difficult restaurant, and then that was like this was put on top of it. And I was like, uh, he offered to buy it from us, and I'm like, okay, this is we've we can get out of it. Let's get out of it. So, mm. yeah, so, but we have eight restaurants now. Yeah, And we have a bunch of other stuff happening, obviously Like Sheriff Farm, we have a bakery A delicious bakery We make all of our breads for all of our restaurants um, mm. We have a commissary kitchen, we do like kimchi and pickles And cheese and a bunch of stuff for our restaurants Nice uh, A food truck um, Incredible burger food truck um, Republican Post Falls is our pub mm. yeah. We have a lot of different things happening Awesome Yeah, Keep busy
0: so um, back to ShareFarm just a little bit. Um, so why should I, as a consumer, um, get ShareFarm? Yeah, get ShareFarm.
2: Well, number one, you're going to eat delicious food at your house. So you're, <laughs> That's true. You're able. I mean, it makes you be able to have, like, very, like, chef-quality stuff. Like, the same – actually, the same stuff that we do in our restaurants, but at your home in, like, a really quick amount mm. of time. Um, and, you're, and you're able to buy the same products we are. You're not, like, going to the grocery store and just picking out whatever's there. You're getting, like – the stuff that comes right from the producers like to your house like in four days mm-hmm. so like we the way we order our food is we don't order it until like someone else orders it so like our when our cut off day i think it's wednesday tuesday or wednesday and we're not going to get the food in until like that morning and then we pack the boxes and then ship them out like that quick so you have like incredibly fresh ingredients coming to your house mm-hmm. um, and then the other part of it is just being able to know that we're going to source you know, locally and we're using seasonal products and we're trying to find the best products available for you and your family and like all those things. So, mm-hmm.
1: so is it when you, is it, it's a subscription, but you get to pick what you're getting. Is yeah. That... And, it's,
2: and you don't have to do a subscription. Subscription is just like a little bit less expensive. There's like a, a certain amount of percentage off. Gotcha. So you can get, if you want meals every week, you mm. just pick the meals you want. Mm. Um, or you can just order individually. If you just want stroganoff, then you just order one stroganoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Nice. And is it just share farm? and do you guys still, we you have, said you still have the app?
2: Uh, no, it's just, oh, okay. it's like a online app. So okay. online site. So it's share, sharefarm.com or share.farm. They both lead to the same thing. Mm. So.
0: Okay. Awesome. And is there like kind of a starting price for what those boxes
2: um, start
0: at or are there tiers I, I or are they, is there one price?
2: Uh, no, each one's, a, it's just like ordering a meal. So all oh, of them okay. are a little bit different. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Cool. So what has been your proudest moment working for Share Farm?
2: Um, well, it was pretty amazing to have, I mean, we got put in the boxing program, like in a very, like we had one week to basically put out 500 boxes of food, like be able to like develop everything. And so since we were kind of doing the online groceries, like people ordering on groceries we kind of had that system we just scaled it up really fast and so instead of having this giant warehouse we just are able to order the food almost exactly like we're doing for the mm-hmm. far, for the food boxes so we order it in on like sunday and then the food comes in on tuesday we pack all the boxes and ship them out that same day mm-hmm. and we're doing the exact same thing with um with the groceries and then now with the meal kits as well so instead of having like stuff sit around for a long time we're able to like just scale it up pack it and send it out so like, to be able to do that with 2,200 boxes, like, that's a pretty amazing feat. Like, totally. you're, we're feeding so many people. It's it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. And that that feels pretty good. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then we had um, a, uh, the Sonny Purdue come. He's the right. secretary of um, USDA. So he came and checked out our, our program. Um, and we've been inspected a few times and had fantastic reviews. So it's been
1: great. I was going to – so about Share Farm, yeah. th- is this a – An answer to COVID? Like, did it start because of
2: COVID? Um, Well, that was, like... So we started it before that. So it's been going for about, like, two years. Okay. And um, that's when our, like, online grocery stuff really started picking up. Mm. But, like I said, it just was not very efficient. So we just had to, like, put a stop to it and pivot and decide, like, how to make this better. It was just ended up, like I said, like, being ridiculous for the farmers being ridiculous for like the customers it mm-hmm. just wasn't didn't right. work very well for anybody okay. so so it started two years ago and then during covid you pivoted
1: to yeah. doing a box yeah yep mm-hmm.
2: gotcha. so yeah we've we pivoted i mean this we've been working on the eat like a chef show and then the the uh, meal kits for about like probably three or four months mm-hmm. in total yeah
3: awesome.
0: so eat like a chef is coming up at the end of this month or yep. it's going to be on tv starting up um is there anything else that's on the horizon for share farm
2: um no that's it we're gonna get this rolling and see how it goes you're like one thing at a time yeah Yeah. well i mean it's like shooting the shows takes a lot of a lot of like work like i have to prep up all those recipes through the Mm -hmm. steps make sure that everything's written out ahead of time we have a guest on the show so to make sure the guest is lined up make sure our chefs are lined up there's there's like not only is there like eight to ten hours of production time, right. like where we're shooting the show, but there's, like, all this, like, pre-production time, too. Mm-hmm. So, like, that takes a lot of work to be able to get going. So we have about uh, six or seven more episodes to shoot. Um, and then then we'll work on, um, you know, see what's next. But uh, the meal kits, so I think we're going to start delivering – or we're opening the site, I think, this week or next. So we're really close. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's exciting. Yep. That Very That is
1: exciting. Cool
2: how did you who came up with the eat like a chef was this your idea eat like a chef of vince's idea so okay. Vince is the other co-founder mm. and eric kobe um it was vince's idea for eat like a chef but it was my idea was like the meal kit idea mm. um but really we got it from doing the USDA farms families boxes because we were like well if we can pack these boxes we're really efficient and quick at these mm. like if we can do 100 meal kits and get figure out how to get these to people. Then we'll be able to do this pretty easily, yeah. and be able to incorporate a lot of local foods, like because we didn't and we didn't know how long the USDA Farmers Families Boxes program would be, mm-hmm. and so we were like looking for our next way to get food to people. And yeah. so this is like kind of how it morphed into that.
0: Mm. How long is your um, partnership right now with WSDA?
2: Uh, Till the end of December. Oh, okay. So it's like nine weeks. Nine weeks total. We've done two weeks.
0: Oh, Okay. And then, are you going to reapply? Yep, and, we'll, re, yeah. we'll just
2: keep reapplying. We, we always reply. <laughs> <Like>, yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> even not? through through USDA, we've we've applied and just trying to um, keep this program and getting money in our area, like locally, to be able to feed people. So.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really cool. I mean, great work sourcing local at all of your establishments and then Thanks. also just like being involved with Share Farm. Um, so just to kind of wrap up a little bit, so if you could just have like a magic wand and wave it over Spokane and being a native here yourself, what would you know your ideal food system, food economy look like
2: here? Um, and how would it work? Well, really it's it's shaping that direction. So I think as we see... I mean, we have a, so many good restaurants mm. per capita, which is, like, <laughs> yeah. and to be able to have that many here. just want to see that keep developing and, like, see – I mean, I would love to see a lot more ethnic restaurants, so it would be great to get more diversity and more um, people willing to take that risk because it is obviously a big risk and very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, as our, like, farmer's markets are really ramping up too, mm-hmm. it's like being able to get those so that the chefs feel more comfortable in learning how to do that. I mean, I had to learn it just, mm-hmm. like – So it's like getting the word out as part of it. So I think I went to a chef's conference um, maybe in like 1998 or something like that. And I was watching a chef and they're like, just start small. Like start, like just start with ravishes or whatever. Like Mm. pick one thing on your menu and just do that. And then slowly you just, you like build up this like system in your restaurant. You're like, oh, well. Radishes are pretty easy, but, oh, they have some basil too. Okay, I'll get a little basil too. And, like, you just slowly, like, develop it and incorporate it into your menu. Mm. Um, And so I think – and what that does is, like, it gives – it's like a whole system because it makes the farmers want to grow more stuff. Then they're coming to us like, hey, what what can we grow? Can we grow this? Would you take that? Mm -hmm. You know, and then, like, as more chefs buy products, as people feel more comfortable buying more unique products, as our seasons extend, like, having Sheriff Farm to be able to sell, you know, winter produce – which is not traditionally available here, being able to do that, like all the things get a little bit better, like slowly. And I think it's like bring progressing the last like 10 years, like pretty rapidly. Yeah. Well, I, and we didn't even get we running on national radar for like <laughs> ever, you know, ever. And then now we have like James Beard nominations mm-hmm. and um, are being recognized like in the New York Times and Los Angeles Times and stuff like that. Yeah. So what was that? When when did you start realizing that
1: Spokane was doing that? Because I feel like when Wandering Table opened, like that was like. Did you see the vision of it of the the culinary scene in Spokane? Because it all really just started like in two thousand and ten. I feel like. Yeah, and I feel was, like. Yeah.
2: Um. So about uh like two thousand like five-ish or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of chefs met up at Quill Saskets, his farm in Rice, Washington. Mm. Uh A local uh, local chefs local yeah. chefs. And we talked about, like, the future of food and, like, how we could um, – it could have been even – it could have been, like, 2002. I don't know. It all works yeah. together. <laughs> uh, but, like, we all talked about, like, the future of food and, like, why – I think there was an article out that, so, like, Portland was, like, the golden age of dining and, like, how mm. many great restaurants and all these things that were happening in Portland. Like, well, why can't we get there? Yeah. And so each of us kind of took, like, our own um, ownership over that and, like said, how can we – do that piece and, like, make our own thing. So, wow. like, David Blaine at Central Food, mm-hmm. he did, like, a little burger pop-up, and mm-hmm. I did an underground restaurant, which is called Wandering Table. I did Wandering Table for, like, four four oh, or five years. Right, yeah. You're, like, traveling around, mm-hmm. doing pop-up dinners for, like, 30 people. Um, while I was chef at the casino, so I had to like, do on yeah. my days off. <laughs> but <laughs> Everybody, like, took their own piece. There was, like, Jeremy Hansen did uh, some great stuff at, at Sante. And, yeah. Like, everybody, like, took this small piece, and then it slowly, as people were taking ownership and like doing different things and like slowly started to blossom.
1: That's awesome. That's so cool. I mean, it's
2: just, I mean, you just see it now and now you see
1: people coming into Spokane and putting restaurants from out of, yeah you know, like wooden city.
2: Yeah. Like wooden city or like Ethan Stoll from, um, who has a bunch of great restaurants in Seattle and Mm -hmm. he's going to build two, two here. And it's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Does that make you excited? Oh yeah, for sure. yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it feels like to me it feels a little bit like the wild west so we've got a lot of like freedom to dictate what we wanted to do mm-hmm. um as more restaurants come in you know obviously those things change a little bit and we have to change what we're doing which is all like fantastic too like have yeah. to evolve and get better and i think as better restaurants come in we all sort of evolve and mm-hmm. so like i think that's all for the best
1: yeah
0: well, and I think that, and this is something we talked about with Brian of of Link Foods um, on the last episode, but it's also training the consumer to really um, value the local yeah. food and know that like that our restaurants are investing in the local producer and the yeah. local foods. And mm. well, and when we have really like people,
2: yeah, like we have like bigger like Amazon, and they'll bring their executives out here and they'll eat at Wandering Table. They're like see, you can, you don't have to live in Seattle to have great food. You can eat here, you know, and then they take them up to a house on South Hill. That's (laughs) (laughs) $400,000. Yeah. You know, so it's like all of these, like, it's a combination of all these things. Like we have a pretty great, um, like, our food system, our art scene's, like, getting better. Mm-hmm. We have um, our cost of living's, like, pretty low. And, and you're really close to nature, like, yeah. wherever you are. So, it's, like, we have a lot of, like, fantastic stuff going for us. And it's just nice to see that, like, people are realizing it. And we're benefiting by, you know, have great greater places to eat. You know, more farmer's markets. There's, I mean, there was, like, one or two farmer's markets. There was, like, not hardly yeah. any. And now there's, like, ten. So, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really cool.
0: Yep. Spokane's on the map. <laughs> yep. we, we've heard yep. it
2: here. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And like, even when I visit places like go to Chicago mm. or New York and they know, instead of like being like Spokane, you know, <laughs> like, they like know what I'm talking about. They know that we have like this glimmer of a food scene happening. You know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah.
0: It's well, cool. yeah, it's really exciting and it's very optimistic and a good, happy feeling. So yeah, that's definitely. awesome. Yeah, definitely. Well, Adam, thank you so much for being here. Keep up the great work. Um, really appreciate all that you do to support the local producers and farmers and then also just getting food on, you know, our community members' tables for sure. Um, really, really important work that you're doing. So, yeah.
2: well, thank you for having me. Yeah. It's fun. So
0: everybody, make sure that you look up um, the Eat Good group and then also Share Farm. Um, and we'll link um, all of that information on our Facebook and our Instagram pages. So before we let you leave, Adam, we like to do a little bit of a spitfire around (laughs) cool all right are you ready (laughs) i think so okay what's a food you can't live
2: without uh food i'm gonna say bacon great answer (laughs) (laughs) it cannot be in it can't be like imitated it's like gotta be authentic you can't you can't
0: (laughs) so you're saying the pre-cooked bacon at costco is a no
2: or turkey bacon Oh, it's not,
1: okay. Not enough. Oh, turkey bacon is <laughs> yeah. so chewy. Yeah. Smoked, <laughs> so chewy. Smokes
2: carrots.
0: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, Is there anything that you feel like you haven't mastered cooking yet?
2: Oh, God, there's so much. Like, I, that's one of my favorite things I love about um, the restaurant industry is like learning. Like, I, when I was in Seattle, I went to, I had like, probably like four hours between work and school. Mm. So I would go to the library and read all I've pretty much read every cookbook and the cookbook section. And I just like love to like there's just endless amount of knowledge. And like so you learn about Indian food, but do you know about northern Indian food or whatever? It's like mm. all of these like subdivides too of whatever cuisine you're learning. Um, it's like infinite. So I I have I don't know anything really. <laughs>
0: So funny. I was, like, all selfish, and I'm like, I cannot make rice a for my <laughs> life. <laughs> it's the most difficult thing, yeah. and the instructions are wrong. Yeah. I will just say that they lie on the box. <laughs> it's not true. Yeah. Um Okay, if you could meet anyone dead or alive,
2: who would you choose? Oh, man. Jeez, that's a really tough one. Well, I'd have to be a chef, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that... And not not meet them, but like maybe like have a conversation with Thomas Keller at the French Laundry. Like he is mm-hmm. such uh, amazing; he's an American icon as far as chefs go. And just to be able to have a conversation. I met him before, and but oh, cool. to like sit down and like develop some sort of you know relationship there would be fantastic. Mm. Yeah.
0: Nice. Um, are you typically are you more on that salty or sweet craving?
2: Uh, it depends on my mood. Like a night, like it. <laughs> Literally at night I have, like, uh, sea salt chocolate. So oh, there you like, go. <laughs> <laughs> really, it's like a little bit of – I like the – you know, I like things that are, like, both extremes. I don't like it to be too sweet mm-hmm. um, unless it's, like, ice cream sundae. But then I'll put a little sea salt on it. <laughs> so it's like – I like the balance, I guess.
0: Uh, so what, what? what's your favorite dessert then?
2: Uh Cheese. I really like like warm cobblers or like pie or something Mm. like that with ice cream on it. That's like, that's hard to beat.
0: Comfort food. Yeah. It's comfort food always. Like a
2: warm chocolate chip cookie with ice cream. Like a little sea salt. Oh, God.
0: Mm. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Okay. We always ask this question. Beatles or Rolling Stones?
2: Uh, Man, that's a tough one too. I like some of like the more um, like the not as popular Beatles stuff. Uh-huh. Like, I really like some of the really older stuff. I guess it's the same with the, probably the Rolling Stones. I don't know. I like them, I like them equally. <laughs> Sorry. It's tough one. Oh,
0: a tie. We got a tie for yeah. yeah. once. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, it would be hard for me. We'll be... I'll probably lean more towards the Beatles. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> it would be hard for me to choose because I don't, I, don't, I don't really have a preference. Uh, I
0: think <laughs> I like the Beatles, girl. Mm. Yeah, I love the Beatles.
2: Well, I really like some of, the, like, the more, like, the stuff that you don't hear all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, like, some of the more obscure stuff. But. Yeah. Same with same with the Rolling Stones. So like, yeah. I just don't really like pop very much. So I guess that's probably yeah. <laughs> you're
0: not like rocking out to Britney Spears all the time yeah, and yeah. in your car. No. <clears throat> um, okay, and if you could eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be?
2: Oh, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> it would probably be like beef or something like that because there's got more variety or pork. <laughs>
1: Like a pizza count, like with like, yeah, with like vegetables pizza, and meat, have, and oh, like, yeah. uh, like a supreme uh, pizza. <laughs> you got, like, I could totally do variety. pizza because like,
2: <laughs> you can put so much variety of stuff on Yeah, there. you could. Yeah. You yeah. can put Thai food on pizza or whatever <laughs> <laughs> with breakfast.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. All right, I feel like you guys cheated with that question, but <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, and then the last question dogs or cats?
2: Oh man, that's a tough one too. I just got a cat. Oh. And so like we, I haven't had a cat in like, since I was like 21. And so it's like <laughs> nice to have, we're, we're like on the same wavelength. Like we're, we're very independent, but then we're like hanging out at the end of the night <laughs> like, <laughs> on the couch watching TV. Awesome. Uh, but the dogs are awesome. Cause it's like, they love me all the time. Like No matter what kind of day, you know, you have like mm-hmm. this dog is super happy to see you mm-hmm. or to go outside with you or whatever. So like, yeah. man, I don't know.
0: What's your cat's name?
2: Squid. That's oh funny. cool. <laughs> yeah.
0: Brian's was biscuit and that was really cute too. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. No, I'm feeling
2: I'm feeling cats lately just because our cat's so it's pretty pretty uh, it's a kitten though. So mm. oh. it's pretty cute. <laughs> yeah. Cute. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well thank you so much again, Adam, for being here. This was um a great interview, so can't wait for everybody to listen to it. All right, thank you. So much. <laughs> Rocks to Roots is sponsored by the Office of Farmland Preservation. Office of Farmland Preservation is a program within the Washington State Conservation Commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state. Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary, incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rocks to Roots. Please make sure to subscribe to our Rocks to Roots channel. And also, more importantly, please leave us a review. That's the only way we can get better.